It is great uh, to be back with y'all. I've been gone three Sundays. Uh, and three weeks ago, got to uh, celebrate the uh, wedding, officiate at the wedding for Kara Davison, uh, daughter of Philip and Rhonda. And it was just one of those beautiful, beautiful ceremonies, Christ honoring. A great time with all the family and friends of them. And I want to thank all of you who, as a church family, prayed for them in the months leading up to that. And uh, your prayers were answered. It was a beautiful time. You can continue to pray for them as they... Um, uh, build their marriage in Christ uh, together. And then uh, two weeks ago, I uh, took some vacation time and um, went up to Dallas to uh, see the Cowboys play. Uh, you know, I'd been to uh, Cotton Bowl and Texas Stadium as a kid uh, watching them play, but I'd never been to AT&T. So went up with some good friends and uh, got to uh, see the hapless Cowboys. We were joking that week beforehand, they were playing the 0-4 Giants. So we knew it would be competitive. And um, sure enough, went down to last second field goal and uh, the Cowboys won. That was a game that we lost Dak uh, Prescott as well. Uh, and then I took a week of vacation, spent it um, in Colorado with um, Mike and Marty Blevins. And um, they are former servant <coughs> leaders here, and they are in the midst of all those wildfires up there. No problem while I was there, but they sure erupted after I left. So continue to pray for them, if, if you will, and they wanted to be remembered to you. But uh, anyway, it is uh, great to be with you again, and we are going to start a new sermon series this morning. It is called Civility and Cultural Engagement. And um, I think it's timely uh, for the time in which we live. And uh, I thought it would be most appropriate to start this sermon series off with a political advertisement. Uh, don't you think that would be appropriate? <clears throat> so uh, I'm going to ask you to please watch the screen. We've got a one-minute political advertisement Spencer here. Spencer Cox, your Republican candidate for Utah governor. And I'm Chris Peterson, your Democratic candidate for governor. We are currently in the final days of campaigning against each other. But our common values transcend our political differences, and the strength of our nation rests on our ability to see that. We are both equally dedicated to the American values of democracy, liberty, and justice for all people. We just have different opinions on how to achieve those ideals. But today, we are setting aside those differences to deliver a message that is critical for the health of our nation. That whether you vote by mail or in person, Person, we will fully support the results of the upcoming presidential election, regardless of the outcome. Although we sit on different sides of the aisle, we are both committed to American civility and a peaceful transition of power. And we hope Utah will be an example to the nation. Because that is what our country is built on. Please stand with us on behalf of our great state and nation. My name's Spencer Cox. And I'm Chris Peterson. And we, we approve, approve this message. message. I don't know anything about either one of these men, but uh, they are opposed to each other running for the highest state in the office. And uh, that advertisement is just stunning uh, to me. They have a couple of others that I that I watched. It's kind of unusual in today's uh, uh, 
current uh, climate, wouldn't you say, to see something like that. Uh, but uh, regardless of who they are and where they come from and, and their backgrounds, uh, they have learned uh, certainly one truth that God gives us uh, throughout Scripture, and that is to treat all people with dignity. They have chosen to express disagreement they have different opinions on how they want to get to certain things, to democracy, liberty, and justice for all. But they've chosen to do it with kindness and with dignity and respect. They've chosen to value each other. And that is a message. It is not only timely for us, but it is a message that is uh, important uh, to God. And it's important to God's world. It's important enough that God put it in the opening pages of Scripture that we might uh, learn to treat one another with dignity and honor and value. And so when we think about civility and cultural engagement, these are things that we're going to have to, to uh, work on, things about how we view each person. We Christians are called to make disciples of everyone in the world right? And that often means that we are called to make decisions with people who disagree with us in conversation. And some of it's not very kind in the way that they approach us, in the way that they uh, disagree with us. But we are told to uh, still make disciples. And so in this sermon series, I want us to explore a, a biblical, a relational approach to challenging people in our world, whether we agree with them or not in different ways, but most likely people that we disagree about God's truth with, we're still called to challenge them with the gospel. And so we need to learn ways to listen to them and, and learn from them about life independent from God and ways to connect with them in order to challenge them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want to compromise the gospel, but we want to be full of grace and truth. And we need to learn how to rely on spiritual resources to enable us, to empower us, to connect with people and to give them the gospel. So that's where we're going to go in the course of the next uh, six weeks on, on this. We're going to look at six different uh, passages. Uh, standing upright in a fallen world is difficult, and, and uh, we say that a lot around here. And we're going to stumble, we're going to fail, especially when it comes to trying to engage in ways where we learn and listen and we have humility and we speak the truth in love. But let's go for it anyway. Let's give it a shot because this is what God is calling us to do. And I think in today's passage in Genesis chapter 1, he's going to give us a mindset. He's going to give us an attitude. He's going to anchor us with a way to view others in our world so that we can begin this process of engaging with them and challenging them with the gospel. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, if you will. And, and I would say that the main point that I see stressed here is that we've got to dignify people as we go through our day because they are image bearers of God. We've got to dignify people as we go throughout our day because they are image bearers of God. How do we do that? Well, the first thing in chapter 1, verse 26, is to dignify all people by seeing them as human. 
It may sound self-explanatory, but let me say it again. Dignify all people by seeing them as human. God sets apart human life as distinct and valuable. We talk about that a lot when we talk about pro-life, right? When we apply it to the sanctity of life, the sacredness of life, uh, from the womb to the tomb, from conception to natural death. But this is us interacting all day long with people in the world all around us. And we've got to remember that God has given us a dignity that gives us value that is distinct. Dignity means the inherent value of each person. It is just there residing within them. It is God-given. And it doesn't change. It doesn't go away. Even though we have lots of reasons why we might not think that way. Dignity originates with God. And God designates people as noble and valuable, honorable. Because God made them in his image. Well, in theory, we accept that truth wholeheartedly, right? In practicality, we often make a mockery of it. I look at the reports of chaos in the cities around our country, and I have some choice thoughts for the people involved. I listen to lies by leaders, and I think disparagingly of them. I listen to people who believe some far-out possibly policies, and I think, is this person credible on anything? These are the kind of thoughts that run through my mind as I look at people in our world who have an inherent dignity. I don't think I'm alone. We Christians traffic in God's truth, but instead of uh, melting our hearts and giving us humility, it often gives us a sense of self-righteousness and even a bit of arrogance as we begin to dehumanize people. We want to devalue people. We want to look at them as less than. They don't have our background, our resources, our education, our way of living, whatever it is. And so we want to devalue them or we want to degrade them and say that they don't contribute to society. We want to demean them. We want to give them nicknames. You know, my favorite is thug. Um, We call them beasts. And we do that so that we can justify our actions or my actions as to how I want to think about them with my attitude and my thoughts, my actions, and my words. Perhaps you find yourself doing the same occasionally. Our problem is we dehumanize people. When we dehumanize people, we disrespect God. Because he's the one who gives everyone inherent dignity and inherent worth. We like to focus on that person on the screen, that person yelling at us, that person with far out ideas. And we can think of all kinds of reasons how we should approach them with a strategy that just gets rid of them or brings them down to size. And that is disrespecting God because God tells us they have an inherent dignity and worth. 
He is the one who stated the divine plan to give human beings value and worth. And this is what he says in chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God said, let us make man in our image. Let's give man a God-likeness. But the way you and I treat people is that if they sound like me, and if they look like me, and if they vote like me, then I will respect them. I will give them value. I will allow them into my life. And what we're doing there is we're basically saying, if you are made in my image, then you're valuable. Then I'll respect you. Then I will honor you. And God says what's more important is that his plan is to make people in his image, to give them a God likeness. We want to dignify people based on what we think they should measure up to, what they think, what we think they should be like. And God says, you know, they've got dignity and value just because I've made them that way. He made all people in his image. And that's hard for us to swallow, just like it is for us to think about Jesus dying for the entire world. All people are made in his image, not just some people, not just our circle of friends, not just our ethnicity, not just our nation, not just first world nations, not just groups that we like. He died for the entire world and he made everyone in his image. All people are made in the image of God. And that's something that we have to digest and begin to process in our lives. All categories of people have dignity, honor, and value. So we want to dignify people by seeing them as human. That's the divine plan. He created them in his image. He's also given us a divine pattern, and we get to see what that means to be made in his image. We want to dignify all people by seeing them as image bearers of God. We want to look at them as those actually made in God's image and, and realize what that means in their lives and, and begin to see the value in them. We need a reason to treat all people with dignity, honor, and value. God gives us to us here in the first pages of the Bible. The essence of man is the image of God. That's why man is sacred. That's why man has dignity. It matters not whether a man or woman knows this or acknowledges it. People are the crowning achievement of God. And here's how David would put it in 500 years after Moses wrote. He says this, What is man that you take thought of him or that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. David is realizing, and he's declaring, the value that God puts on mankind. 
men, women, and children, made in his image, a little lower than God. If we had a scale from one to 10, we'd have animals and beasts and vegetation over here at one, and we would have God over here at 10, and we'd have man right about eight or nine. Because God has given us that kind of value. And so even David, in, earlier in that psalm, he talks about the, the stars and the great and powerful things that are infinite in number to our finite minds. And he says, you lift us up above that. You care for us. That's how God stated in Psalm 8. Man's origin is not by accident. The creation of mankind is a profoundly intelligent act. A choice made by God to create us and to create us in his image. He chose to brand us in his image, which gives us eternal value because he's the eternal God. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 27, which makes this clear in Genesis. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We could look at those, past, those phrases in a lot of different ways, but this morning we're looking just at the, the value that God gives to mankind. We are made in his image. You know, if you were to go through Genesis 1 and you were reading, with, reading that with your children or you're reading that with your, your friends and just had somebody count all the times that God said after their kind, it, there would be no, numerous times. So when he made the vegetation, then he made everything after its kind, after its species. When he made uh, birds in the air, he made them after their kind. When he made animals on the land, he made them after their kind. When he made creatures in the water, he made them after their kind. Everything was after its kind. But when he got to man, here in verse 27, it was after God's kind. God created man in his image. We are distinctly valuable from animals. We are distinctly made in the image of God. The God of eternal, infinite value establishes the value for mankind. So people's dignity, value, and worth comes from God. And it comes from an intimate association with our creator. What might it mean to, to be made in the image of God? to be made in his likeness. Well, God likeness means that we resemble God and we could tease that out in a lot of different ways. I think it includes the idea of relating to God. Uh, a lot of the scholars and the, the, the books would emphasize the spiritual nature that we have and our ability to relate to God. God even has, uh, or um, we represent God. Uh, I think of back when we were in Daniel and, and how different rulers would build statues of themselves, sometimes to be worshipped, sometimes just to be posted around the empire so that anybody entering the emperor, empire would know who the emperor was, who the ruler was, that they would go by this representation, this statue, this image, that he is the emperor. And so what we see God has done for us is he's caught us, caused us to resemble him so that people might see him through his image in us and also realize who is the ruler of the universe. There are a lot of words written about being in the image of God and, and being 
in God's likeness. I, I think it simplifies it just to look at it in terms of God's communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. So we say that God has these attributes that he does not share with anyone. He is sovereign. We are not. He is omnipresent. He is all everywhere present at all times. We are not. He is omniscient, meaning he is all-knowing of all things, past, present, and future at all times. We are not. Those are incommunicable attributes. But there are communicable attributes, and I think this is where it begins to get us into God's likeness, and into God's um, image. When we realize that God is loving, that he is merciful, that he is full of justice, he is compassionate, that he is forgiving. These are characteristics that he has given to us to represent him in this world. And so when we think about being in God's image, we think about the characteristics that we share with him. Certainly we are moral beings. Certainly we have intelligence. Certainly we can communicate. There are all kinds of ways we can look at this. But I prefer to look at those things that God does that he shares with us. He calls us to be loving and live with humility and compassionate and that's what we need if we're going to be able to engage in our cult or engage our culture with grace and truth the world looks at people and estimates their worth based on factors selfish to the world the world asks at large asks questions like do they have quality of life are they productive are they viable are they desirous of going on the truth is we're not the ones to establish value for humans god has already told us that everyone is intrinsically valuable and that we share his characteristics that we resemble him that we have a god likeness that we are to move out into this world with and we are to look upon everybody that we see with this type of image because they are an image bearer of god those are difficult words to live out. Men and women are image bearers of the living God, and we've got to treat people with value and honor because they carry his image about this earth. When we interact with people, we want to have that in mind, that this is an image bearer of God. And that frees us up to be able to look at people with value and with honor and with respect. Well, Genesis 1 has given us a divine plan, God, to make man in his image, the divine pattern in his image. And then I want to go ahead and, and move to Revelation, the other end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 5. Because in this book, we realize that we are to dignify people, all people, because that is what heaven will look like. So again, we don't just go to heaven with a, a secret club of people that we are community with. We don't go to heaven with people that we've picked out of a lineup. We go to people, we, we go to heaven with people from every tribe and people group throughout the world. We should dignify people, all people, because that is what heaven will look like. And that can hit us in the face. Do we want to spend eternity with people that we've been mean to, that we've been devaluing, that we've been degrading, that we've been demeaning toward? God's word gives us a peek into heaven here in the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 5. 
We don't know who will be in heaven from around the world and who will not, but we do know that God has stamped his image upon every person. And as we look to heaven, we realize that there will be people from every people group throughout the world. Here's how the Apostle John states it in chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, persons from every tribe, and tongue, and people, and nation, every ethnicity, every people group, every language group. These are the ones that will be in heaven. Whomever trusts Christ through the ages and, and from around the globe will spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. And the implication is that many people that we pass on the street, many people that we engage with, some even in rude and crude ways, might be spending eternity with us. We want to recognize their worth and value. Many neighbors that we have disregarded. We don't want to push anyone away from the gospel. Because our goal is to see people come to Christ. He purchased them with his blood. Certainly we want to care for people's needs. We want to be right in our citizenship and, and in social responsibility. We want to make lives better. But the most important aspect of our mission is to challenge people with the gospel. To love and accept them with grace, with unconditional love, just like Christ has loved us. But also a truth about the gospel, this hope that allows life to flourish in the person of Jesus Christ right here and now, gets rid of guilt and shame, forgives of sins, and offers the free gift of eternal life with the leadership of Christ in our lives. Not only do we want to not turn people away from the gospel, we want to share it boldly and clearly with love. So your basic tenet and my basic tenet when we look to people around us is to recognize them as image bearers of God. That they have inherent worth and value regardless of whether they are productive, they're nice, desirous of living, look like us, sound like us, vote like us. We want to be people who recognize their value. And that open door, opens doors to the gospel as well. So in this election cycle, please get out and vote. You've seen all the stories and the memes. Millions of Christians don't vote. And, and that's an, uh, a way of not doing what God has asked us to do in terms of honoring the government, in terms of exercising our rights as citizens. Get out and vote. But as you take care of the civic duty... Let's treat people who vote differently from us as image bearers of God. Nothing wrong with trying to convince people of policies and, and ways to vote. But let's not demean them and let's not devalue them. Let's dignify all people because they are image bearers of God. I'm going to close with a pastoral prayer for us and, and for our nation and, and feel free to just pray along with me silently where you are as we pray for uh, healing in our land that uh, needs to take place. 
and we know that uh, it can only ultimately take place through the healing nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's pray that we might be people who live gospel-changed lives as we present the gospel to others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, worship you as the one who has given all people in the world dignity and value. You are the one who has uh, caused us to look at people differently because they bear your image. And we confess that we tend to marginalize those that we don't like for whatever reason. And we confess that uh, we fear the turmoil going on in the country. We confess that uh, we let our emotions get the best of us. And we give you thanks that you offer reconciliation, that you have put us in relationship with you. And you offer that to all mankind. Not only reconciliation with you, but with each other. And so we pray as we move out into this world and as we live with uh, the certainty of who we are in Christ, that you would give us a heart for the people around us. That you would give us the ability, the willingness to speak grace and truth, the attitudes, the thoughts, the actions that live grace and truth, that reveal a, a life changed by the gospel. We pray for healing in our communities. We pray for leaders who will act with godly care and justice for all. We pray for our law enforcement uh, people, Lord, as they are in a, a unique position of being accused across the board. And we ask that you would protect them, that you would give them wisdom in their service, and that you would guard their families. We pray, uh, Lord Jesus, that uh, as you draw people,